like to draw your attention to the Son of Man, our awesome Savior and Lord. Uh, Just pose this question for you. How would you react if suddenly you were in the presence of Jesus? You know, maybe you see a sign on a trail you're on and kind of a sign says Jesus ahead. And so you kind of know what's coming, but, you know, and then you see another sign like that and you get a little closer and pretty soon you come around a corner and there's Jesus. How would you respond to that? I've met people who think they would kind of run up and shake his hand. Or maybe uh, hurry forward and give him a big hug. And I talked to a guy last night that wasn't sure he was even going to make it through the night. He did. But we talked about this business of meeting Jesus. And he suggested he probably just collapse to the ground. And you know, that's what the Apostle John did. You remember in his vision of, recorded in the book of Revelation, he met face to face right at the beginning of the book with this awesome figure. Quite a description. And uh, it says that he, he, uh, Find the verse here. And when I saw him, here it is. Now here's the apostle John, knew Jesus, was one of his disciples, and 50 years later he has this vision, he's writing this book, and uh, you know, probably one of the most spiritual and godly men that ever lived. And if there's anybody who's going to run up and jump in Jesus' lap, it would be John, except it didn't work that way. He says, and when I saw him, I fell at his feet as a dead man. And he laid his right hand upon me, saying, do not be afraid. What a marvelous thing. Here's God the Son, the creator, the sustainer, the savior, the coming judge. And we all will fall flat before him. And he reaches out and he says, do not be afraid lifts him up kind of an interesting sequel to that event towards the end of the book John meets an angel and this angel was so awesome it just literally blew him away and he fell on the ground one more time and the angel says don't do that worship God he thought maybe he'd seen God things are going to be pretty grand when we get up there amazing well anyway we want to talk about the son of man And uh, my concern today is the natural human tendency to reduce Jesus down to a size where uh, uh, we're comfortable with him. (laughs) Me and Jesus are buddies. We talk together when I feel like it. And uh, if I need a little help, I ask him for it. we tend to reduce Jesus down to where there's not a whole lot of awe left. And that's a mistake. Um, 
I don't know if you've been watching the uh, series that's been on television. It's had two seasons now, and it's going to be doing its third here soon, uh, The Chosen. And I would highly recommend that if you want a picture of Jesus on earth with his disciples. It's a marvelous picture. It really is. Uh, how many of you have been watching that? Okay, good. I'm glad you have. I hope the rest of you will. You can go online and pick it up. Uh, but anyway, it, it gives, I think, a good picture of what Jesus was like when he was interacting with his disciples. And uh, it's sort of like he's a scoutmaster, and here are all these bumbling friends of his, and he's trying to get them organized and going in the right direction. And uh, there's a lot of love and sympathy and understanding, and yet there's a sternness that's there. And he's got a purpose. He's going in a direction. You pick that up. And I can't wait to see how they portray the end of the life of Christ. Uh, but that's fine. I'm sure he functioned that way with his disciples. But behind that was God the Son. Huge. Amazing. And... Uh, you know, my conviction is that a proper understanding of Jesus begins with the Trinity. This is where we have to start. The Trinity, of course, is one God comprised of three co-equal. In other words, they're all equal to each other. Co-eternal. They've always existed the whole time. Father, Son, Holy Spirit. And uh, that's where we have to start. And then God the Son at a point in time, entered the flow of human history and joined eternally to himself a perfect human body, soul, and spirit. Now, that's the truth, and that's the way it was. Now, today in our Christian culture, I think there's misunderstanding of who Jesus is. Uh, and I think sometimes we get tripped up on God the Father, God the Son. So, you know, the Father is the daddy to Jesus. And, uh, you know, we have a junior version of the Father. Uh, in some cases, uh, they see people, uh, people see Jesus as uh, God's special servant. You know, uh, God somehow came on Jesus in a special way, sort of like to Moses, to Billy Graham. Uh, and we miss the fact that Scripture teaches without hesitation the absolute full deity of God the Son, our Lord Jesus Christ. Uh, we like uh, Jesus' light, if you can put it that way. We like Jesus' light because it removes the fear and the awe. And uh, we can be comfortable with a kind of a down-home Jesus. You know, hey, Jesus, kind of need a little help over here. Uh, Jesus, you know, can you give me a little privacy here for a minute? I'm going to run off and do, I just don't want you, it would upset you, I'm sure. Uh, and we were comfortable with that kind of Jesus. Takes the awe out of it. But friends, <laughs> that's not the way it is. Uh, sometimes we're like, you remember John Kennedy Jr.? famous picture of him and here's the resolute desk in the oval office and here's the president kennedy and uh, the front of this desk has a door that swings open 
And uh, the picture is of this little guy about two and a half years old. He's playing under the desk of the President of the United States. And as far as John Kennedy Jr. is concerned, it was just daddy. <laughs> daddy can have a drink. No, daddy, I don't want to go to bed now. You know, just this little kid, he had no idea that this man, his father, was the most powerful man in the world. And that he had on his desk, as it were, the red button, he could blow us all to smithereens. But little John, yeah, he was just daddy. My goal today is to help you factor in three truths about God the Son. We want to look at God the Son in eternity past and his role in the cosmic universe. We can put that slide up. And then God the Son during his visit to planet Earth. And then God the Son in his victory over all evil. As the judge of all mankind and as the ruler of his eternal kingdom. So my goal is to kind of broaden our understanding of who Jesus is. And I know you won't have any trouble believing these things because this is what this church has taught forever. But we, we need to be reminded of it. First of all, God the Son in eternity past and his role in the cosmic universe. The scripture teaches without hesitation that uh, God the Son created everything and that he actually maintains it. Think about this. God the Son was maintaining the very cross he was nailed to. Holds it all together. Listen to these words from John chapter 1. In the beginning was the Word, a reference to Jesus. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was in the beginning with God. All things were made through him, and without him was not anything made that was made. And then from Colossians chapter 1, we find these words, giving thanks to the Father who has qualified you to share in the inheritance of the saints in light. He has delivered us from the domain of darkness and transferred us to the kingdom of his beloved Son, in whom we have redemption, the forgiveness of sins. And he, Jesus, is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn or the premier one of all creation, for by him all things were created in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or dominions or rulers or authorities. And then catch this, all things were created through him and for him. It all points down to a culmination in God the Son, yet in the future. All things were created through him and for him, and he is before all things, and in him all things hold together. The image in my mind is if God the Son would lose his focus, everything would disintegrate and disappear. He's the power that holds it all together. And then in Hebrews chapter 1, long ago in many times and in many, many ways, God spoke to our fathers by the prophets. But in these last days, he's spoken to us by his Son, whom he appointed heir of all things. In other words, everything finally is coming back to him. Appointed him heir of all things, through whom also he created the world. He is, this is speaking of Jesus, he is the radiance of the glory of God and the exact imprint of his nature. And he upholds the universe by the word of his power. 
After making purification for sins, he sat down at the right hand of the majesty on high. Now you see, that's God the Son in eternity past. Awesome. Amazing. And he came to this earth. And then God the Son, during his visit to planet earth, and again in John chapter 1, in the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He created everything. And then a couple of verses down in that text, it says, And the Word became flesh and dwelt among us, and we have seen his glory. Glory is the only Son from the Father, full of grace and truth. God the Son in eternity past, the creator, the sustainer of everything, and then he comes down into our universe, and the word became flesh and dwelt among us. Now, as we look at the life of Jesus, we find that he acts in ways that one might expect from God the Son in human flesh. God in disguise. He did miracles that demonstrated his deity. He fed the multitude. Think of that. 10,000 people or more had a meal. And he's sitting there just multiplying the food. Only God could do that. He walked on water. He healed the blind, the deaf, the lepers. He raised the dead. <laughs> Can you imagine that? Think of him at the tomb of Lazarus. Lazarus come forth and he did only God does that and in the light of these miracles and there are many 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 miracles I love the accounts in scripture found in several of the gospels that he went from village to village and people knowing he was coming would lay their sick out and as he walked by if they just touch his garment just be there they were healed we're talking about Hundreds and hundreds of people healed. Now, in light of all these miracles, he made claims that we can't ignore. We've got to respond to them. He said, I'm the bread of life. He who eats my flesh and drinks my blood has eternal life, and I will raise him up at the last day. He said to his disciples, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. He also said to his disciples, he who has seen me has seen the Father. I'm the perfect representation of the Father. If you've seen and understood me, if you know my heart, my love, my care, if you've seen all that, if you've seen me, well, you've seen the Father. And then he said to his disciples, if you can't believe my words, my claims, if that's a little too much, believe on account of the miracles. And then we have that one grand final miracle, his death, his burial, his resurrection. <laughs> he told his disciples, let's go on up to Jerusalem. I'm going to get killed, and in three days I'll be alive again. And one of the disciples said to one of the others, well, yeah, let's go up there and die with him. You know, just grit your teeth. This is the way it's going to be. He says, I'm going to be raised again. And he was. 
Now that's astonishing. His claims, his miracles, his resurrection. You know, that's not just ho-hum stuff. It really isn't. You have to respond to that. In the book of Philippians, we have an interesting picture of God the Son. I like to think of it as a kind of a swoop. You know, he's up here and he swoops down and he's down here for a while and then he goes back up again. This is the picture we have in Philippians chapter 2. God the Son, first of all, steps down from heaven into humanity. Paul writes and he says, Have this mind among yourself, which is which is yours in Christ Jesus, who, though he was in the form of God, did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped, but he emptied himself. He was in the form of God. And you have to understand this word. The form is a reference to the things that make something what it is. Now, this pocket knife is in the form of a pocket knife. You could take the same material and shape it into something else and it would no longer be a pocket knife. But it has a blade that's sharp. It has a handle. And this is a folding pocket knife. And it's the form of it that makes it what it is. It's those defining characteristics. Here's an old fountain pen. It belonged to Linda's dad. And uh, it's not in the form of a knife. So you'd never say this has the characteristics and the qualities that makes it a knife. No, it has those characteristics and qualities that made it a fountain pen. And uh, some of you young people here wouldn't even know what a fountain pen is. (laughs) But actually there was liquid ink inside. And there's this little device you pull down and it squishes a bladder. And then when you let it go, it goes, sucks the ink right up into the pen and you put it in your pocket and you make sure you've got it in the right side up because if it leaks, you've got this spot right there. Dell, you know about fountain pens, don't you? Aren't you a fountain pen guy? Yeah. Anyway, uh, so when it says here... uh, Jesus Christ, who though he was in the form of God, that means he had all the characteristics and attributes that makes a person God. It would be another way of saying he was absolutely and totally, completely, undeniably God. That's all loaded into this word, he was in the form of God. Now listen, Jesus Christ, who though he was in the form of God, did not count equality with God. It states it again. God the Son is totally, completely, absolutely deity, having all the characteristics and qualities that define God the Father and God the Holy Spirit. Totally and completely God. He emptied himself. Now that doesn't mean he became un-God, No, not at all. It means that he laid aside some of these qualities and attributes, didn't exercise them. He came down from heaven and he sort of put some of these qualities that defined him as God out of sight. Still had them, totally, completely, never lost them, never gave them up. He came down, joined himself to a sinless 
human body, soul, and spirit and became what we talk about as the God-man. Taking the form of a servant, once again the defining characteristics of a servant, having been born in the likeness of men and being found in human form, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. So we have from heaven's glory coming down, 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 down to the cross, to the grave. But there's that marvelous upswing, and listen to what it says. Therefore God was highly, highly, therefore God highly exalted him and bestowed on him the name that is above every name, so that at the name of Jesus every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth, and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. Now, that day hasn't come yet. There are people who say the name of Jesus is a curse word. All of Jesus' enemies call him Jesus. Back in the day when he was alive on earth, those who sought to crucify him called him Jesus. Who is Jesus? This has been the big question. Who is Jesus? There will come a day, according to scripture, when everybody in heaven and on earth and under the earth will bow their knee and with their tongue confess, admit, acknowledge that Jesus, this guy that we've wondered about, this man that walked the earth, that Jesus Christ, the Messiah, that Jesus Christ is Lord, the name of deity. There'll come that time when every living person, every person from the past, everybody in heaven, on earth, and under the earth, even the devil himself, will have to acknowledge that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God, the Father. Now, how about you? That scripture says that someday you will acknowledge Jesus Christ as full deity. Now, we have the opportunity to do it now. And uh, C.S. Lewis makes this statement. He says, it's no credit to you if you bow when you can no longer stand. That day is coming. We have the privilege of acknowledging Jesus as Lord today, now, and become part of his family. Have you done that? Then there's an interesting passage. It's a look into the future from the Old Testament. And uh, it's Daniel chapter 7, and it has to do with the Son of Man. And you remember, that's a title that Jesus claimed for himself. He referred to himself many, many times over as the Son of Man. His enemies were horrified that he claimed to be the Son of Man because they knew this Son of Man, whoever he was, was a very, very, very special person. And for Jesus to say that he is the Son of Man, that just flipped them over. They didn't know what to make of that. 
Here's the passage from Daniel chapter 7. It's a vision. In the first part of the vision, we have this awesome being, the Almighty, the Ancient of Days. And the throne is set up, and it's a... It's an amazing picture, it really is. And into this picture comes one who is the son of man. And unto him is given dominion and glory and a kingdom that's eternal. Now listen to it. As I looked, this is Daniel's vision, chapter 7. As I looked, thrones were placed the ancient of days took his seat his clothing was white as snow and the hair of his head like pure wool his throne was fiery flames and its wheels were a burning fire a stream of fire issued and came out from before him and a thousand thousand served him that's a million and ten thousand times ten thousand stood before him that's a hundred million the court sat in judgment, and the books were opened. Now, that would kind of get your attention, wouldn't it? And uh, for any of you who are going to rush into God's presence and try to straighten things out, I don't think so. And then we have this. And I saw in the night visions, and behold, with the clouds of heaven... There came one like a son of man, and he came to the ancient of days and was presented before him, and to him was given dominion and glory and a kingdom that all peoples, nations, and languages should serve him. His dominion is an everlasting dominion which shall not pass away, and his kingdom is one that shall not be destroyed. Now this looks into the future when it's all wrapped up and God the Son is king over this whole universe. Now you see, that's why we have to be a little careful when we address Jesus. When we ignore him, when we tell him what we want him to do, when we don't give him the respect he deserves, that's not good. Then we see Jesus one more time. And this really should connect with us. Catch our attention. Revelation chapter 19. It's a prophetic picture of the risen Lord Jesus Christ bringing about the final conquest of all evil. He's here seen as the rider on the white horse with heaven's armies following him to this final victory. It's the resurrected Jesus, the God-man, the eternal son of God, the second member of the Trinity, the creator, the sustainer of the universe as he leads the armies of heaven in a final conquest of all evil. That's pretty awesome. Listen to what it says. Then I saw heaven open and behold a white horse. Then the one sitting on it is called faithful and true. And some of these words are a little mystifying to us, but they have real meaning. And the one sitting on it is called faithful and true. And in righteousness, he judges and makes war. The forces of evil have gathered together. They're there. 
They want to have a battle. He says, okay, I'm coming. His eyes are like a flame of fire, and on his head are many crowns. And he has a name written on him that no one but himself knows. He's clothed in a robe dipped in blood, and the name by which he is called is the Word of God. And the armies of heaven, arrayed in fine linen, white and pure, were following him on white horses. And from his mouth comes a sharp sword. In other words, words that just cut like a sword. From his mouth comes a sharp sword with which he will strike down the nations and he will rule them with a rod of iron. He will tread the winepress of the fury of the wrath of God Almighty. On his robe and on his thigh he has a name written, King of Kings and Lord of Lords. And then there's an interesting follow-up paragraph. When we crossed Wiser Lake coming to Bellingham this morning, we saw five, I thought they were bald eagles. I didn't see any white heads, but they were huge big birds. They may have been ravens. They were up in a tree and looked out on the lake frozen, and here were a couple more, and there was this dead whatever it was, and they were there eating on it, and probably the ones up in the tree were waiting their turn, or they've already filled up. And I saw an angel, this is what follows, I saw an angel standing in the sun and with a loud voice he called out to all the birds that fly directly overhead. He says, come gather for the great supper of God and eat the flesh of kings and the flesh of captains, the flesh of mighty men, the flesh of horses and their riders and the flesh of all men, both free and slave, both small and great. Now that's picturesque language, just saying that when God the Son on this white horse comes to fix the problem of evil, there's going to be a slaughter of everyone, anyone who opposes him. That's quite a picture, isn't it? And then we come to the picture of the risen Christ as the judge of all men. And you remember Jesus told his disciples and the audience The Father judges no one, but has given all judgment to the Son, that all may honor the Son, just as they honor the Father. Whoever does not honor the Son does not honor the Father who sent him. And first of all, we read of the judgment of all believers. And that's something you can look forward to. We really can. I mean, if you've made it your point to please God day by day, if you've confessed your sins as they come up, if it's your desire to please him, then you can look forward to the judgment seat. Your salvation is not the issue. That's been decided down here as you've accepted Christ as Savior. The question is, how are you going to live your life? And it's his pleasure, it's his desire to acknowledge the things that we've done for his glory and to reward us. That's something you can look forward to. A little spooky, maybe but you can look forward to it. And you know, if you've lived every day open and honest before God, the best you know how, then standing at the judgment seat is just one more day. Paul says, so whether we are at home or away, in other words, whether we're in heaven at home or away down here on this earth still, 
we make it our aim to please him. For we must all appear before the judgment seat of Christ so that each one may receive what is due him for what he has done in the body, whether good or bad. Something to look forward to. There's one that's uh, for the unsaved. The judgment of the unsaved before the great white throne from Revelation chapter 20. And I saw a great white throne and him who was seated on it and from his presence, earth and heaven fled away, and no place was found for them. That's how awesome he is. He just blows everything away. He pops out from behind the curtain, and everything just blown away. In his presence, earth and sky fled away, and no place was found for them. And I saw the dead, the great and the small, standing before the throne, and the books were open. And then another book was open, which is the book of life. And the dead were judged by what was written in the books according to what they had done. And the sea gave up the dead who were in it. Death and hell gave up the dead that were in them. And they were judged, each one of them, according to what they had done. And death and Hades were thrown into the lake of fire. This is the second death, the lake of fire. And if anyone's name was not found written in the book of life, he was thrown into the lake of fire. That doesn't have to be you. You can look forward to coming into the presence of God the Son. As a child of God, as one who's been redeemed, loved, provided for, protected. I mentioned my friend who wasn't expected to live through the night. The doctors yesterday told his wife that there was really no hope they were doing what they could and uh, I talked to him last night on the phone and uh, said those things that you might well say at a funeral read the passage about uh, you know I've prepared a place for you And if I go, I'll come back and receive you unto myself, that where I am, there ye may be also. And uh, one of his disciples said, we don't get it. We don't know where you're going. How do we know the way? And you remember the verse, Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father but by me. And we talked about this. And... uh, as I often do with somebody who's, you know, on their way out, I said, you know, I'd like you to say some things to some people you'll meet up there. So confident that when he passed away on this earth, if it was last night, he's still alive this morning, I talked to him, but we thought maybe it'd be last night. If he passed away last night, He'd be in heaven. And, uh, you know, I said, I've got some messages that I'd like you to take to people. My son Daniel, my mom, she died when she was 50-some. She doesn't know what happened to all of us kids. So confident that because this guy, my friend, had trusted the Savior, he was going to be in heaven maybe that very night. And that soon he would be able to connect with people. 
reminded him of Gene Mulder, our mutual friend, and uh, others who've gone ahead. Tell them what's happening down here. That's how real it is. And it's real because God the Son, the second member of the Trinity, wrapped himself in human flesh, lived on this earth, gave himself for our salvation. And of course the question is, are you in on it? How do we respond? How do we respond? And you know, it comes back to really how big and how wonderful is your Jesus. You know, if you've got one of these little small drugstore Jesuses, maybe you've got one that, uh, you know, you put on your dashboard. It's not going to do you much good. Scripture says <laughs> that God the Son came to this earth. The one who created this very earth. The one who sustains this very earth. He came to this earth and on him was placed the sins of mankind. And he died. And he was raised from the dead. He ascended to heaven. He's there as your representative. And he's coming back again. How big is your Jesus? How wonderful is your Jesus? You see, that determines your whole life. What's important to you? What you'll sacrifice for? I think of these churches starting in India. 20 churches? 46? That's the goal? Okay, now think of that. 46 villages in India where all they've known is Hinduism. And now there are going to be churches planted. There were churches planted there. How big is your Jesus? How wonderful. And you see, when you get the big picture, you want other people to know. Ryan, I think that there will be a lot of churches planted. How big, how wonderful is your Jesus? That's the issue. Let's pray together, shall we? Lord, thank you that we can say with confidence that God the Son, the creator of the universe, the sustainer of the universe... He's our Savior. He's our representative in heaven. Thank you for this life-transforming truth. And Lord, for anyone here who's not trusted as a Savior, this could be the day to just simply say, Jesus, I need you desperately. I'm a sinner. I need forgiveness. I believe you died to pay the penalty for my sin. I want you to be my savior. Lord God, may it be in Christ's name. Amen. Why don't we all stand together?